Welcome back, friends. Thanks for joining us again. As always, it is an absolute honor to have you here with us. And today on Aldersgate On Air, we are thrilled to explore the world of urban farming. Simply put, urban farming is defined by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations as the growing of plants and raising of animals in and around cities. Urban and community agriculture is reshaping local food systems across the country. Urban farmers and gardeners are creating new opportunities for increasing the economic, social, and environmental effects of growing food in and around these cities. Now, as cities across the nation are growing and farmland is swallowed up by urban development, our access to fresh and local farm products decreases. We find ourselves sourcing our food from further and further away, increasing our carbon footprint while decreasing the freshness of the food we consume. Now luckily, a trend is emerging to save some of this farmland in the midst of these urban areas. In this episode, we're going to dig into how an urban farm in our own backyard is becoming an important part of the fabric of the city of Charlotte. Our guests today are Zach Wyatt, director of the Carolina Farm Trust, Larkin Eggleston, who is serving his second term as a member of the Charlotte, North Carolina City Council, and Brooks Shelley, Director of Marketing and Engagement here at Aldersgate. So I am ridiculously excited to be bringing you these three very special guests who are absolute rock stars in the field and who are working tirelessly to make this dream a reality. Zach, Larkin, Brooks, welcome to Aldersgate On Air. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Yeah, you know, I think this is a fantastic topic. I'm personally really excited about it. I'm also personally invested in the concept itself. So I think there's a lot of great perspectives we're going to get from each of you today. So, uh, Zach, let's get started with you. If you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to found the Carolina Farm Trust and help Aldersgate create the urban farm at Aldersgate. Uh, yeah, um, you know, so... Uh, you know, again, uh, my name is Zach Wyatt, and uh, I founded Carolina Farm Trust uh, in June, uh, June 9th, 2015 is uh, our IRS birthday. Uh, you know, so we just uh, turned five earlier this year. Um, you know, uh, our mission is to redesign our regional food system from, per- from production to consumption uh, by protecting farmland, fostering an ecosystem of sustainable farming, and then building the next generation of Carolina farmers. Um, you know, so we, what we really want to do is, is uh, work with the existing farming community. Uh, you know, what can we do to make them successful? Uh, you know, business 101, you know, just does not work, uh, you know, in the, in the farming industry, and especially on the, on the, on the small farming uh, community farm uh, scale. Uh, and then how do we work with, uh, you know, the consumers uh, so they can actually participate in the local food economy because it's very difficult. Uh, you know, and as far as it relates to Aldersgate, uh, we were... We, I th- we thought urban farming definitely was going to be, you know, something we were going to get into, uh, but we just didn't realize it was going to be this fast. And, uh, you know, we are just extremely thankful, uh, you know, to Brooks, uh, uh, you know, Aldersgate, uh, you know, Suzanne, uh, you know, um, um, Aaron Barbie at the time, you know, the director of mission advancement at Aldersgate, uh, you know, came uh, to us and had this idea. Uh, you know, and it was just, uh, you know, Aaron, you know, kind of talked about it in the first, you know, kind of 10 seconds we were sitting down at lunch and, uh, the moment she said it, my mind, you know, just wondered on, uh, how awesome it was going to be. And then, you know, holy crap, the responsibility now, (laughs) uh, you know, of creating something like this, uh, you know, from scratch, uh, you know, so we are, we were just kind of beyond excited at the time. Uh, you know, and again, very thankful for Aldersgate for kind of giving us the opportunity and, and more importantly, just, you know, giving us, you know, uh, you know, patience, uh, you know, to, you know, to get something like this, you know, off the ground, uh, because it's no easy task. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for that. And if you wouldn't mind to just give us a quick definition for the listener, what separates, say, an urban farm from a traditional farm? How do we define that? Uh, I mean, all it is is a farm in an urban setting. Um, You know, we, uh, you know, the more that, you know, Aldersgate was kind of our first uh, experience, you know, dealing with something like this. And, uh, you know, it's easy, you know, when I I talk to my rural farm friends, they just kind of laugh at the urban farm concept. Uh, but I have to say that, you know, in the, in the next, um, you know, decade or so, you know, urban farms are going to play a major role, uh, you know, in our food system. Uh, and I think really, you know, the urban farms are really going to drive the importance uh, and relevance of rural farms uh, just because of uh, the generations upon generations that have lost, you know, what farming really is. 
you know, and I think the more that we can have urban farms so people can kind of see it, you know, from a day-to-day perspective, the more that are going to understand the value, uh, you know, of our farming system as a whole, um, you know, and I think that's a really critical point. Yeah, awesome. So Larkin, as a city council member, I'd love to hear about your background and what actually inspired you to run for city council in the first place. So I have grown up and lived in North Carolina my entire life. I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, um, went to Appalachian State University in Boone in the mountains of North Carolina, and then moved to Charlotte in 2004 to attend Johnson Wales uh, and get a culinary degree. So I've got a, a food and beverage interest that ties in really nicely with um, trying to change the way that we look at our food system. And, and that's part of why I've been so drawn to Zach's idea uh, and so supportive of it. But for me, running for city council, I'd been, uh, and actually uh, Brooks and I served on one of these together. I'd been involved in a couple of community organizations. Brooks and I at the time were both on our neighborhood association board together. That's how um, we first met. But as I got more and more involved in the community, having grown up with parents who who were very involved in Winston-Salem, though they never ran for office, um, I've always felt kind of a sense of civic duty. But as you become more involved, you start to realize that some of the issues that you're really passionate about, the biggest impact you can have is to be the person that has that vote on, on whatever that issue is. And so for me, with my passion for transit, my passion for affordable housing, uh, historic preservation, a lot of the things that I really care about that shape Charlotte and, and shape um, and kind of steer it in the direction that uh, it's going to go are city government issues. And so as I got more in, involved in those and became uh, better versed in how to affect that change, I realized that, that being the person in that role um, was the best way for me to do that, I thought. And so I ran in 2017 for the first time uh, against a, a longtime incumbent. I was successful there and was reelected in 2019. And, um, you know, it's been a great experience. It's, it's incredibly challenging in Charlotte. We're one of the biggest cities in the country that has part-time, <clears throat> part-time mayor and city council. And that does not mean that the hours are part-time, only that the pay is part-time. So as we discussed before we went on air, uh, I am actually in Asheville today doing uh, my day job, which a lot of folks don't realize most of us have day jobs. So it is a challenge. It's essentially working two full-time jobs, uh, but it's an incredible opportunity. I get to meet a bunch of amazing people. Uh, I get to, like I said, help steer uh, Charlotte in, in a direction that I think is is best for it. And, Part of that is making sure that people are not as disconnected from their food as they've been throughout most of my life. And I think coming from that, that hospitality industry, food and beverage background, um, I sort of had a front row seat to see how little people knew about where their food came from. And one of the issues that I've been involved with in our community is fighting childhood hunger. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to make sure that fresh, uh, healthy food is available to people as close to where they live or work as possible. And so dispersing that food network so that not every every food source is hundreds of miles from, from the end user, I think is a great way to attack some of those challenges. And I think um, Zach's concept um, can be a proof of concept that hopefully others will take and run with um, when they see the success I'm certain he's going to have. Yeah, I think that's epic. And I love the fact also that you have a culinary background, which I think is not something a lot of people in your field have. So you're approaching this with an actual knowledge of the product and a knowledge of how things work. And I also think it definitely brings a really unique perspective. I wish more people in the world would have even the slightest concept of where your food really comes from and how it gets from point A to point B. I think that's something a lot of people just truly don't understand at all. Yeah, not a lot of not a lot of culinary degrees in uh, in politics, I don't think. But um, it was it was a passion of mine from an early time in my childhood. I worked in restaurants uh, upon turning sixteen in Winston Salem, and even though I went to App State and got a business and marketing degree, I'd always had a passion for food and uh, and wanted to go and kind of scratch that itch in culinary school. And I'm certainly glad I did, even though I don't cook professionally anymore. Uh, I think it does give me a, a really good insight into some of those issues like food insecurity. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in the context of, I guess, uh, city planning and zoning, how do you see urban farming benefiting the city and the residents of your local area uh, of Charlotte? So um, Zach's urban farm at Aldersgate is actually in my city council district. And so this is um, not theoretical for me. It is, it is very real. And I think 
just as I mentioned, it's, it's closing the gap between the producer and the user in our food, um, in our food network and our food constructs. And so not only does it give people the opportunity to know who's growing their food, maybe to be involved in the process of growing their food, um, but they get fresher, healthier food. I think they have more of an appreciation, maybe more of an open mind to trying new things. Um, there's so much about it, I think, that can connect people not only back to food, but really back to the environment. And, and that's a thing in a city like Charlotte, it's the 15th biggest city in the country and one of the fastest growing. To be able to have, um, not natural in the sense that it's untouched, but I think, you know, pervious surface that is well-maintained and done so in an environmentally friendly way um, and that is enriching the soil, not stripping the soil and is, you know, allowing for storm water to soak into the ground as opposed to run off into our creeks. Um, there's so much about it, I think, that, that touches not only on the food security and, and healthy eating and healthy living, but also a healthy environment, which has been something that our city council has really tried to prioritize. And that's hard to do. It's hard to balance that when you are one of the fastest growing cities in the country. So I think it has to play a role. We have to have open space. We have to have um, conservation areas for um, for farming, but for anything that can help with our, our tree canopy, help clean our air, clean our water. Um, and I think this will do a lot of those things. Cool. Uh, hey, Brooks, your turn. You've been sitting there all quiet-like. So Aldersgate has set aside seven acres on the campus to serve as the farm. Why is supporting urban farming important to the Aldersgate community? Well, Aldersgate started here 72 years ago. And like Larkin said, we fall in his district. And I only, I only live four minutes from here. So I'm fortunate to live and work in Larkin's district. And That's, did you say fortunate or unfortunate? <laughs> uh, we'll talk later, um, but the 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 acreage used to be Windsor Swim Club, so it was a community swim club. And when it closed, we allocated the land and acquired it, and we just haven't done anything with it. We've got two hundred thirty-one acres, and that was just a, a piece that we had as well. And typically people think of retirement living and senior living communities as the buildings and the actual community within. But Aldersgate has made an intentional effort to consider the community outside and to become part of the community that's outside. So we want to be a good neighbor. We want to embrace the community we're in. We have arguably the most diverse population in the east side of anywhere in Charlotte. So we also fall in the food desert. And it's difficult to be in a food desert and be a good neighbor at the same time and have the capabilities to do something different. So fortunately, like Zach said, we had people that met people that knew other people and everything just kind of came together. So that seven acres of land can now become a farm that takes EBT and WIC payments and is a learning lab for our local high school and can actually be intergenerational programming for our elders as well as high school students, middle-aged students, preschool students. And it, it really gives us an opportunity to embrace the community in every aspect, both internal and external. If I can pick back on something that Brooks said there that, that is really important, the ability to take the EBT and the SNAP and make sure that this is not only accessible to affluent people who want to go to a farmer's market and have fresh local produce, but that it's available to people who oftentimes don't have access to that kind of fresh local food is a really key piece there that I want to make sure we don't uh, miss. And I'm glad Brooks brought that up because um, we, we do have areas of our city where people don't have access to that fresh food. They might only have access to a, a corner store, convenience store type of place that they have to do their grocery shopping and they can't get food that is as healthy for their family. So that's a big piece of it is to make sure that it's something that uh, can be accessed, whether you are highly affluent or, or maybe not as much. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad Brooks touched on that. Yeah, actually, as am I, because that kind of brings us to the next thing we're going to talk about, which really kind of hits that home. 
I'm in the Seattle area where, of course, we have the world-famous Pike Place Market, which happens to be in the middle of some of the most rarefied air for real estate prices in the country. It's also a major tourist destination where people kind of come to eat, drink, dine, take in all the sites. It's, uh, it's really cool. It's got kind of this whole mix of things going on there. Um, but there's literally millionaires shopping next to suburban moms who come to the city or next to lower income seniors and people who are probably having a, a tough time making ends meet. Um, what's also unique about the Pike Place Market is that it also provides a variety of social services for children, seniors, and it even has a food bank and a really cool herb garden. So it's truly a salad of cultural and socioeconomic diversity, and it works. So Along those lines, in your mind, how does urban farming contribute to Charlotte's communities from a social and environmental perspective? What other benefits do you think communities receive from incorporating farms into these urban areas? Uh, yeah, and I think Charlotte has a need. Um, I told you I'm actually doing this interview from Asheville, which has an incredible uh, food community here. And we've recently done a study at the city, or the city partnered on a study that looked at our farmers market access in terms of where they are geographically in our community. Um, it looked at how many of them accept those uh, sorts of benefit payments like SNAP and EBT. Uh, and Charlotte's really woefully behind um, some of our other peer cities in North Carolina, like a Raleigh, like in Asheville. Asheville, much smaller in population, but really had better access for their residents to a lot of these markets, as did uh, Raleigh, the, the capital. Uh, which is half our size. And so Charlotte has fallen way behind on that. And to Brooks's point, being over in East Charlotte, there's a number of markets um, kind of pop up in smaller markets near our center city. But as you get a little bit further out, um, we have one big regional market down in Southwest Charlotte, um, but Aldersgate is more up in Northeast Charlotte. And that area really hasn't been served um, in any, in any sort of a, um, um, I, can, I can't think of the word I'm looking for right now, but with any consistency, I guess is what I mean. There have been that have kind of popped up and then they disappear. Um, there hasn't been a consistent presence for this type of a market in that area. And yet I, I think that there is a huge demand. And so I do think that it's not, it's so much, it's about food security. It's about creating community, creating a place for people to come together. Um, obviously it's six feet apart right now, but I think, you know, looking long-term, this is a place that can be a community gathering spot as well as a place for people to, you know, to address food insecurity, to address healthy living, to address environmental issues that we're facing. And, and again, this is but what I hope will be one of many a decade from now or even five years from now. I hope that people see what's happening here and try to find other places because this isn't the only food desert. It's not the only part of our city that's lacking something like this. So I hope that whether it's Zach doing it or, Zach handing that blueprint off to others doing it, uh, that this is something we can replicate throughout the city. Yeah, Zach, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, just to pick up, uh, you know, Mike, just from what Larkin was saying, uh, I mean, we are the 15th largest city, uh, you know, in the country, and I don't think another city uh, rivals us from a green space perspective. Uh, and Charlotte, in my opinion, does have a unique uh, opportunity to be a global leader in food sustainability and creating an environment where we're feeding ourselves. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, even with COVID kind of bringing a lot of the supply chain issues, you know, kind of coming into it. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of farmers, you know, that I know, and, you know, when not one says we cannot, uh, you know, we cannot uh, feed the region because we can, um, you know, and, you know, and as, as far as kind of the social aspects, uh, you know, when you really kind of look down to it, you know, racial injustice born out of agriculture, climate change is agriculture. Uh, you know, the health and nutrition piece, the upper mobility piece, you know, the three pillars of, of life piece, uh, you know, it really all kind of comes down to this agricultural component, you know, that we've kind of gotten away from, uh, you know, and the biggest thing is, is, is that, uh, you know, this is not something we can kind of, you know, preach from the, you know, the mountaintops, you know, it, you know, we have to create these experiences, uh, you know, for people to really make a behavioral change, which we are asking them to do. You know, and that's kind of a really cool aspect of, you know, the location of, you know, this, the urban farm at Aldersgate is bringing people, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, Queens Road West, uh, you know, from the banks. You know, I mean, we, you know, we had a great meeting with one of the banks, you know, before COVID hit and they were going to bring 75 people, 
you know, down to the farm, you know, with executive leadership, you know, and I just kind of made it, you know, an offhand comment. Okay, well, you know, how many of those uh, executives have actually gone from Wendover across 74 and kept going on Eastway? Uh, you know, and they all kind of got quiet and they said, you know, probably not a lot <laughs> or if any, uh, you know, but this, they're the ones making these key decisions, you know, in our overall community. Uh, you know, so it draws people, you know, and especially from a Charlotte, you know, from a, you know, and we're not the only ones that are having segregation issues, uh, you know, but we all are uh, guilty of kind of living in the bubble that we want to put our, put our, you know, ourselves in, uh, you know, and having these urban farms in different parts of the, the city, uh, you know, make people go to places that they don't normally go. And I think it's very eye-opening once they do. Yeah, absolutely. Those are some uh, amazing perspectives from all of you there. And I forgot to ask you earlier, in regards to the farm at Aldersgate itself then, describe it for us. What are you growing and how often are you switching out products that are being grown? So this is our first year. So, uh, you know, our lease started in April of, of 2018, uh, you know, and it took us about, you know, a good two years, you know, to get some funding together to really move forward. Um, you know, and it was a lot of, uh, human capital. Uh, I mean, when we got the property, there were still, uh, four tennis courts on it, uh, two, you know, uh, uh, center block buildings that were falling down. Uh, you know, it, the property really hasn't been touched, uh, in, you know, 20, 25 years. Uh, you know, so it was, it was very daunting, uh, you know, kind of walking into that and like, okay, well, what are we going to do here? Uh, you know, and in the best case scenario, it's hard to get funding for these projects when I need, you know, 30, 40 grand just to tear things down before we can start building. Uh, you know, we didn't really get a lot of, uh, you know, smiling faces on the other end. Um, you know, but I got to give it to Accenture, uh, you know, who really reached out to us, you know, from some press that we've done and they pretty much did that for us over two years. Um, you know, so this is our first year of actually getting the farm activated. Uh, you know, we hired our farm manager, uh, you know, February one of this year, his name is Ashanti Selassie and, um, you know, you know, pretty much, you know, going down into, uh, you know, again, you know, soil that hasn't been touched. Uh, you know, the tennis courts have been under concrete for 50 years. Um, you know, there's just, uh, you know, all sorts of just challenges just walking into it. Uh, you know, and he's done a great job. I mean, we have uh, one of one of uh, three fields planted right now. Um, you know, for the most part, he's starting on the second field right now. Um, right now we got um, tomatoes, um, uh, okra, eggplant, uh, we've got some watermelon growing, a bunch of basil, um, you know, uh, squash, zucchini, uh, some green beans, uh, you know, so he's, uh, I think he has some hibiscus that he's planting on that last row, uh, which is really cool. And some, you know, different, uh, uh, greens that actually flourish in the summer. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, our goal is, is, uh, getting that first field and second field planted, you know, this summer, uh, you know, in the, you know, last year we planted about 35, 40 trees and a couple of berry bushes. Uh, the trees have actually done great, uh, persimmons, figs, uh, you know, red buds, magnolias. Uh, we're really looking at the whole space from a permaculture standpoint of making sure that, you know, some trees are taking from the soil, other trees are, you know, adding the nutrients into the soil. Um, you know, so we worked with Tree Charlotte, uh, you know, on that project and we're getting ready to uh, talk with them, you know, and in this fall, we want to plant a uh, ballpark, probably about a couple hundred blueberry, uh, you know, variety of different berry bushes, blueberries, elderberries, blackberries, raspberries, uh, and then probably another 50, 60 trees uh, this fall, um, you know, and then get the rest of the fields planted. And then uh, sometime next year, uh, about half the acreage is in, 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 is in woods. Uh, you know, so we're going to start to thin those out a bit uh, and then really kind of cultivate a edible forest. Um, you know, going forward from there. Uh, but we, uh, Providence Day School, which is a, a, a local private school, uh, came in and built an apiary for us. And, um, you know, we should have uh, two hives, hopefully, in the next couple months uh, that will, act, will, will be in a home for a dozen hives, uh, hopefully by the start of next year. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of a lot of things happening and, and a lot of infrastructure work that's been that we've been working on. And we're finally starting to, you know, show some fruits of that labor <laughs> uh, without being too on the nose about it. Boom, boom, folks. We'll be here all week. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing, though. Clearly, it's taken a lot to run these kinds of places, and not just from a staffing point of view, but also from an environmental maintenance perspective and making sure you know that every T is crossed and every I is dotted. So we've talked a lot now about the kind of impact on the community at large, whether it's just a local or even a global community. Let's kind of switch gears then, and we'll kind of tie it into what you're doing here at Aldersgate. And how do you see, Zach, urban farming contributing to the quality of life of our elders uh, specifically? Uh, Yeah, so... Uh, the hard part with COVID, I think, you know, I mean, Brooks and, and Larkin, we can all is, is, is the, the biggest piece has just been the community engagement that just kind of come to a halt. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, hopefully by mid next year, uh, we actually have a trail and a bridge that we'll have to repair and fix and get back. But it, it's connected, you know, all the way back to, uh, you know, Aldersgate's uh, residence, you know, so it's something they can come down and walk. Uh, you know, they can come and, you know, uh, you know, uh, come down with their golf carts and kind of park, uh, you know, so, I mean, we, we've already been talking, you know, before COVID, uh, you know, we kind of presented the idea, you know, to Suzanne and her team, you know, obviously we do some quarterly, you know, farm to table dinners, uh, with the residents, um, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, what, you know, what can we do with the, the chefs, you know, on a, on a regular basis with certain things, um, you know, what can we do for board meetings and, uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, residents to come down and, and kind of volunteer, you know, at the farm stand, um, you know, and, and uh, really just present the farm as the residents, how they want to engage with it. Uh, you know, some are going to want to get their hands dirty in the dirt. Uh, you know, others are just going to want to come and walk around. Um, you know, uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, a retaining pond right now that <laughs> looks, uh, you know, a little barbaric, uh, you know, but I had some conversations today with some artists that, you know, that we're going to be doing some really cool active work with that. And we'll have, you know, some kind of seating around it. And, uh, you know, we'll have, uh, you know, uh, we have a, a little corner, you know, that will have kind of a fireplace and with some uh, benches around it. Uh, you know, so it is definitely something that we want the residents, uh, staff, uh, you know, to engage as much as they want. And, and really, it's our job to kind of create that environment, uh, make it accessible, um, you know, uh, you know, so they can kind of take full advantage. Uh, you know, we were, you know, we were, you know, talking with, uh, you know, Mike, with, with your team. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, from a from a living standpoint, and if you're on that third stage of life, uh, you should be having the best food, you know, that is grown on earth, you know, at that point in time. Uh, you know, so it is, it's, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm really excited, you know, once we're able to get, uh, you know, residents down and they can kind of look and kind of see what's going on, um, you know, and everyone that comes down, I mean, we had, uh, we had a local publication, you know, come down to do a feature on us, uh, that hopefully will be published next month. And, you know, and, and the editor was like, I didn't realize it was going to be this cool coming down here, <laughs> uh, which is just great to, great to hear, um, you know, cause I think, you know, people just don't know what to expect. Uh, and I can't wait for that first busload of residents to, you know, come down and, and um, you know, kind of take a look, you know, really of what their, uh, you know, their, their uh, team has really kind of put together and give us the opportunity to, to do. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to be an epic event. Definitely looking forward to hearing more about that for sure. Brooks, I've talked to you now several times, so I'm familiar with you and what you do. But one of the things that we always keep coming back to is Aldersgate and the commitment to diversity, inclusion, and equity, right? How does the urban farm support and enhance those commitments? Well, to tag on to something that Zach said a minute ago about getting upper management and CEOs from other companies to to go where they usually don't go, that that's pretty much what we do. We try to get people who usually aren't at the table, have an opportunity to be at the table, to come up, pull up a chair and be at the table. So again, this is the probably the, the most diverse area of Charlotte and increasing transportation, public transportation, making sure that people can actually go places that they need to that is equal to other people who can go places they can go to. Um, a lot of what we want to do with the farm is not only make it a farm, but make it a culturally relevant farm. So 
food that's grown there is something that a, a different nationality would, would like to see and different age groups would like to see and different income levels would like to see. So we're, we're just excited to have something that gives another level of diversity to not only our campus, but our community internally, as well as our community externally. We've got a, a resident garden on site where the residents have plots where they go out and they like to garden still. And they have taken a huge interest in the urban farm, not only from an aspect of the cool factor, but also from an aspect of going and volunteering and knowing that the potential is there for much of their food that they eat here coming from a farm that's right in the backyard. So it is, it is a huge benefit to the community, both internally and externally. So from a diversity and inclusion and equity standpoint, making it affordable for all and accessible for all is just a huge community benefit. Man, that is so epic. I absolutely love that. So, so Larkin, here at Aldersgate On Air, of course, what we're doing for the Aldersgate community, we have a lot of focus on our elders, of course. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how Charlotte is addressing the need for senior housing, including affordable housing? And as this housing is developed, how do you envision urban farms supporting these developments? Well, I think the, the market rate need for senior housing is being met by the market. Um, there, we get we handle all the rezonings, land use uh, decisions for the city on the city council, and um, the number of market rate and and really also luxury senior complexes that are coming in front of us is staggering. Uh, so the market's really taking care of the demand that is there and the demand that is coming in the the gray wave that uh, that everyone sees coming. But for affordability, I think that's really where. Our, that's really more in our, our wheelhouse. So we have done a lot of things on affordability, um, not the least of which is that historically every two years there had been a $15 million affordable housing bond. And in 2018, after a, a slew of us got elected for the first time in 2017, we put, uh, as well as a new mayor who has really led by Lyles, our mayor here has really championed all these efforts as well. Um, we put a $50 million affordable housing bond on the ballot. Uh, voters overwhelmingly supported it. Uh, and we are doing that again in 2020. And we hope that voters will once again support it. So more than tripling the affordable housing bond in each bond cycle um, was one of the big splash things that we did. But we've done a lot of things um, that haven't maybe been as big a splash or as, as much of a front page headline. And one of those that I think most uh, directly impacts seniors is we created a program um, and now former council member Justin Harlow, um, who represents part of West Charlotte, represented part of West Charlotte, um, was one of the leaders on this called Aging in Place. And essentially what it did was it said the city can't artificially um, adjust your tax uh, value or even your tax, your assessment and the bill. But what we can do is help you, help you to cover that bill. And so in a city where we are growing as fast as we are and the housing market is spiking as quickly as it is, we said, if you're a homeowner over a certain age and under a certain income, we have dollars uh, that we can deploy to help you close that gap. If your tax bill went up $1,000 and you're on a fixed income, and that $1,000 might be the reason you're not able to pay that tax bill and would become delinquent on your taxes or would have to make the decision to sell even though you didn't necessarily want to, um, we can help you close that gap that you are experiencing or that you're facing because of uh, you just happen to have bought, you know, 20, 30 years ago in a neighborhood that suddenly is one of the hot markets in our community. So uh, we have created programs that have been laser focused on trying to make sure seniors can age in place until they're ready to go to somewhere like an Aldersgate. Um, because we don't want, we want them to have those options when they're ready for them, but we don't want them to feel pushed out of their home um, before they think it's time, before they're ready. And so again, it's about creating options both in the, the type, style of living, I guess, um, the style of housing, but also in the price points. And so we've tried to make sure that that variety is there on the affordable end of the spectrum because we know the market's going to take care of the higher end uh, price-wise. 
Yeah, you know, I think that's a detail that probably gets missed a lot when we talk about the, you know, the very hot button that is taxes and allocations and whatnot. But, you know, finding that you have allocations specifically to help a small group of people that really needs the help rather than changing the entire structure for everybody who may or may not need that level of help makes more sense. And I think that makes it a lot more approachable for people. And honestly, I'm a little surprised that we don't hear more about that on a global scale. Yeah, we try to create these things with a um, with with a uh, scalpel, not a hatchet. <laughs> nice. I'm gonna have to steal that. I can actually use that as a uh, culinary reference as well. You're using you're using a scalpel in the kitchen. I'll have other questions. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, precision cuts, brother. Precision cuts. So, uh, hey, Zach, um, you already described for us today kind of what the farm looks like and what it's going through. So what are the plans for the future? What are you going to add and what's it going to take for urban farming to be able to supply communities and food service establishments for the long term? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, zoning is a gigantic issue. Um, you know, there's just so much restrictions, you know, that are out there on what we can do and what we can't, uh, you know, and from a nonprofit standpoint that we are just trying to create enough revenue to survive, um, you know, but putting under the same restrictions of a developer who is going to turn a piece of property over and make, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars is, is very challenging. You know, just from, a, you know, trying to get an electrical permit where we have to have, you know, all these drawings and everything else. So it takes a thousand dollar thing to a four thousand dollar thing, you know, with a snap of a finger. Um, you know, so we're, uh, you know, trying to, you know, work with Larkin. I mean, you know, we have an email out to uh, the, you know, some some other folks in the city because uh, we're the city's kind of going through a transition of, I think, revising the entire zoning laws. Uh, you know, so we want to have a, a seat at the table there for, you know, for the long term future. Um, you know, but we are, uh, you know, we're working with Aldersgate right now to try to get some, uh, to get the urban farm rezoned, uh, you know, to a neighborhood services classification, which will really open it up to give us a lot of flexibility to do a lot of, you know, cool different things, you know, having small events, uh, being able to sell, uh, you know, off farm product, uh, you know, so we can have a much more full offering to support the community and to Aldersgate specifically, um, you know, and, and that's really what that, uh, the farm as a kind of a placemaker. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really great proof of concept that, um, you know, I think is just really has the legs to do something, uh, you know, all across the city. And, and, and that's really uh, with this opportunity that kind of Aldersgate, Aldersgate gave us, you know, we're, we kind of pivoted and, you know, you know, how can we have an urban farm network all across the city? Um, and, and so, and we, you know, based on this project, uh, you know, another uh, landowner who has 28 acres in Huntersville, which is not too far, uh, you know, we got a lease on that, you know, which could be the largest urban farm in the country. Um, you know, so the sky's the limit here, uh, you know, but we really have to, uh, you know, we're starting to develop some relationships with the county. Uh, we need, you know, much stronger relationships with the city, um, you know, and really kind of rethink, uh, you know, our supply chains and, and really look at urban farming almost from a risk management perspective. Um, you know, we have a, you know, a very archaic cast uh, system of food distribution, uh, you know, for those in need, um, you know, and yes, we're filling a hunger problem, but you know, there's no nutrition uh, there and all we're doing is creating a much bigger health problem kind of on the other end. Um, you know, so it, you know, again, it's really kind of having, you know, a starting point, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of where, you know, Brooks and Suzanne and Boris and the rest of the, you know, C leadership over at Aldersgate and the board of Aldersgate, uh, I don't really even think they realize, you know, what the true potential of this, of what this thing is and what they've started. Uh, there's been a ton of organizations around Charlotte and I'm sure across the country that have really tried to do this in the past and failed. Uh, and really it was just timing. Uh, you know, uh, this thing has kind of taken off. Uh, we've, we've started to kind of get some funding, uh, you know, because people are starting to pay much more attention to it uh, and giving us time for it to really to go. I mean, this isn't something where, okay, we signed the lease, you know, and again, I was naive in, in you know, thinking that we could probably do it right off the bat when we did do it, um, you know, but it, 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 this is comes down to such a basic thing, you know, that people kind of gloss over it. Um, you know, but, um, we need to, uh, you know, kind of keep this again, you know, as 
a proof of concept that can move the needle. You know, I mean, especially Charlotte, I'm sure you guys have had it in Seattle. We are trying to have these major impacts and we're trying to do them in silos and clearly it's not working. Uh, you know, and so what we've been really trying to do with our messaging is how do we use agriculture as a vehicle, uh, you know, to really kind of touch on much, most of, you know, a lot of these big social problems, uh, you know, that we've, uh, you know, kind of are, are been trying to deal with, but aren't really dealing with them. You know, number one, just with diversity and racial injustice. Uh, you know, yes, we need to have, you know, a slavery conversation, not in a classroom, not in the, you know, a hotel ballroom, but on that damn farm, uh, you know, because, you know, it, it brings that presence of mind and it brings emotion to it. And, uh, you know, and we have to, uh, you know, address, you know, the issues that we've had to deal with in the past or on a variety of different levels, uh, you know, but the metaphor that just being down there, um, you know, it, 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 it takes a lot of the animosity almost out the window. You know, and we, we've had some, you know, conflict, uh, you know, outside, you know, having discussions. But when we kind of bring them into a farming element and everybody's out there, the conversation just completely, completely changes. Um, you know, so there's an, a lot of opportunity here. Uh, I mean, East Charlotte is rapidly changing. I mean, Eastland, you know, the whole transition with Eastland Mall, with MLS kind of coming in. Um, you know, so right now it's really about uh, leadership. Um, you know, and the faster that we can kind of get these concepts uh, proven and people can pay attention to them, uh, we can get them on bigger and bigger scales. Uh, I mean, you know, Larkin, when we were, we, we, you know, with the video that we were doing tomorrow night, uh, you know, you know, talking to some architects and we were kind of sitting at the, uh, the UNCC building uh, in Uptown, you know, and I'm like, I want, I want a visual <laughs> of all these parking lots, you know, with a roof on it and we're going to grow stuff on it. Uh, I mean, just imagine that, you know, just imagine what the carbon footprint of that is and the, the visual, you know, you know, even from the, the towers above. Um, I mean, there's so many things that can be done that are not hard. You know, we just have to go do them, uh, you know, and that's kind of where, you know, kind of coming back, you know, to the concept of, uh, you know, really what got this, uh, got this off the ground was the scale. Um, you know, no one was going to get excited. No one is going to get excited about an urban farm on a corner lot. Uh, it was the acreage, you know, that people paid attention to, um, you know, and, and that's kind of really, uh, you know, like I pinpointed before, you know, when we, Aaron Barbie and I were kind of talking initially, um, it's a lot more than just getting this farm up off the ground. I mean, the responsibility to utilize an asset, uh, that we were very lucky to get, um, is huge, uh, you know, and we, we take it very seriously. Yeah, for sure. Larkin, do you want to expand on that at all? Which part? That was a, there was a lot to that. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot to that. Uh, just your perspective on what it's going to take to really kind of make this happen, to be a tangible thing for the future, to make sure that communities can integrate these kind of farms, not only for community <laughs> consumption, but also for food service. Well, it takes someone to be the pioneer, and that's kind of what Zach's doing here. If people have, I've come to realize even more now in elected office, people have, myself included, a difficult time imagining something that they've not seen before. And so until you've got it and you can take someone to it and show them and they go, oh, man, that's that's really cool. That's not at all what I thought you were talking about. Uh, you get pushback. And we've gotten pushback, um, as Zach and Brooks can attest, from a couple of folks in this community who I think uh, over time, even if they never actually admit it to us, will end up loving this, but they don't have necessarily something that they've seen before that matches this description. And they have trouble figuring out what is it that's coming into my community. Um, they might be picturing cows grazing out there. I don't know, but um, having that proof of concept, we've used that term a couple of times, but having that not only can get buy-in from the community that, yeah, that is the type of thing I wish I had in my community and, is there, is there a chance for us to make that fit? But it also can, you know, it can bring sponsors in. When people see something like that and see the buzz that it's creating and the people that it's attracting, and they say, I want my business to be a part of something like that, it makes it easier uh, as you go along. So this first one is always inevitably going to be the heaviest lift because you're selling people on a concept they haven't seen, whether it's as their soon-to-be neighbor or as something that you're asking them to sponsor. But I do think that... It, it should get easier over time as people see the impact it has and the, the placemaking um, that it accomplishes in our community. And 
I certainly hope that, like I've said, it, it's the first of many. Yeah, man, I hope so too. That would be absolutely incredible. And Brooks, I know we're just getting going on this particular farm, but where do you see this farm fitting into the ecosystem at Aldersgate? Is this something that you plan to use to supply a larger portion of the food service operation? Well, it's it's a lot like Zach said. The, the potential is almost endless. There are so many different avenues that we can pursue and different directions we can go in. So how cool would it be to actually have your culinary grown right here? I mean, that would just be, that would just be incredible. And we, we really don't know, know to what extent it's going to, going to grow to no pun intended. We (laughs) really want it to be a hallmark that will hopefully be the catalyst and start other places doing things and other people doing things and just starting to, to help out the community because as we've, we've seen recently, community is pretty much all we've got. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And, you know, be the catalyst, be the change. Those are statements that I really like when I hear them, and I like when I see them in action. And clearly, that's something that all of you on your own levels are involved in. But the fact that you are all working together on this concept on this level, I think is awesome because it really does take people working together to, uh, as you were saying, illustrate the concepts, show how it works, show people that it actually does work, show that this is a tangible thing and not a fantasy from some crazy person's head. This is actually something that can physically work. So that being said, we've talked about a bunch of stuff today, and I had a pretty epic list of questions and topics, which you all answered very thoroughly, so thank you for that. But did we miss anything? Is there some other piece of information that we need to make sure we get out there to all the greater communities to help people fully understand what this really is? I'll lead off one thing on the policy side, since we just talked about, Zach was talking about putting, um, you know, living roofs, you could have buildings downtown where you're growing produce, and talked about the fact that some people um, get their hackles up when they hear about a farm moving in next to their, their street or at the end of their street. You know, I hope that people in Charlotte specifically, but really anywhere will be more open-minded to experimentation. And I think that we have got to be constantly trying new things. They're not all going to work though. I'm quite confident this one will, but that's one of the things we, we run into so much resistance as a city, when we try to experiment with anything from a change in the way we look at parking, a change in the way we look at land use, transit, anything, anything that is some something that you're not accustomed to seems to make people very, very anxious. And I can understand that anxiety and I can understand wanting more information, but ultimately you, you won't know whether these things can work or not unless you're willing to try them. And so my message would just be to people, we've, we know what a lot of the challenges are. We don't know what the solutions are, and we won't find the solutions if we don't try some things. So we've got to be more willing to um, take a little risk and try something that might at first glance seem out of the ordinary, because maybe that's maybe it's the out of the ordinary stuff that's going to ultimately be the answers to a lot of the problems we're facing. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, just from what, you know, Larkin mentioned just, you know, uh, you know, it's the old adage, just kind of just with NIMBY, you know, it's just, we, we love the idea, uh, just not in my backyard. Um, you know, and even just from a basics of a, of a, of a small farm, <laughs> um, you know, that we're growing organic produce on and, you know, and how that, how that is going to impact, uh, uh, you know, a neighborhood and, and even that has some, you know, negative connotation to it. Um, you know, but I, you know, it was great. The, I mean, when, you know, even when we first announced the project, you know, to Windsor Park, um, you know, there was an overwhelming, uh, you know, positive, you know, feedback from them, uh, you know, continue to get it. Uh, you know, Scott Robinson, who's the neighborhood president over there, um, you know, any, I mean, we're, we're trying to find, uh, you know, housing for Ashanti, who's our farm manager. And anytime a rental pops up, he's texting me, giving me all the information, um, you know, there's folks across the street that are just kind of poking their heads in and walking by and, uh, you know, and that's kind of the, uh, you know, the part of, you know, to Larkin's point of, yeah, we're going to get negativity, you know, regardless, uh, you know, and, but it's just kind of, pers- you know, just dealing with it. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, I was, I was reading something the other day of just, you know, uh, people being over in Europe and people were getting fights and, you know, but two seconds later, they're fine. Uh, you know, they're moving on, you know, and I think, you know, we can't be afraid of conflict and we can't, be afraid of confrontation, 
you know, we have to, uh, you know, deal with it, obviously, in a constructive uh, and respectful way, um, you know, but just continue to have the doors open and, and, and continue the conversations. And, uh, you know, uh, and most people are just kind of wanting to be heard. Uh, you know, some obviously are, are more hard-headed than others, uh, you know, but just, just being transparent and, you know, and doing your best, uh, you know, to do the right thing. For sure. So, Brooks, to close out this amazing conversation and to bring us all back home, can you share with the world how can people support the urban farm here at Aldersgate? My typical response to that is come visit us. But right now it's a little bit more difficult to come visit us. So check us out online. You can see us at aldersgateccrc.com or carolinafarmtrust.org. But take a look at it and reach out to us, spread the word, let everybody know what's going on because the more people that know, the better off we all are. So just check it out and ask questions. Absolutely. And to quote a certain very famous cartoon from the eighties, knowing is half the battle, right? I'd like to thank all of you for hanging out today, giving us your time and engaging us in a really fun conversation. I think it's really cool because the three of you come from three different perspectives that are all working together. So I think we really got the best of all worlds today. And I know the listeners are really going to enjoy all the information that was given out, plus hearing all of your individual thoughts on these for sure. So thank you again, Brooks, Zach, Larkin, for joining us here at Aldersgate On Air. And please keep doing what you're doing. Keep fighting the good fight and be the catalyst, be the change. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great. Thanks, guys. And as always, thanks to all of you, our amazing listeners, for hopping on board and coming along for the ride. It's truly an honor to have you with us, and I really do mean that. And I hope you all see how truly blessed you are to have such an amazing example of awe-inspiring agriculture right in your own backyard. Not that many places can have such an epic claim to fame. So if you haven't yet, please do yourselves a favor, do as Brooks says, go check it out, and make sure you check out the Carolina Farm Trust at carolinafarmtrust.org. And of course, Aldersgate's own website has plenty of cool info as well at aldersgateccrc.com. And don't forget to send in your thoughts, ideas, questions, comments, and random examples of awesomeness to onair at aldersgateccrc.com so we can address those in future episodes. So until next time, take care, and I'm looking forward to talking to you again real soon at Aldersgate On Air.